0: It's such a blessing to be here with you all. Uh, we've been working towards this day for a long time now. I think since March was my initial interview, and uh, we just had to jump through all kinds of red tape. But it is such an exciting opportunity to be here with you this morning. If you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two, verses eleven through twenty-two. It's Ephesians chapter two, verses eleven through twenty-two. While you're opening, as I said, it's just been such an honor to be able to work with the Pastor Search Committee. They're such an incredible group of men and women of God. I know they've spent countless hours praying, researching. Uh, They've just done a a fantastic job. From the very moment I sat down with them, we met one evening, and uh, I you know, my family was waiting to hear from me. I got in the car to head back to Fayetteville and uh, sure enough, my wife called and we started talking and said, you know, I think this might be the one. Uh, They just came with such a a spirit of excitement, but also uh, they were kind of curbing me a little bit. Hey, we're still looking, we're keeping our doors open, you know, we're we're still accepting resumes, but it was one step at a time. But it is just awesome for the way that God has worked through this. So thank you all so much. I've enjoyed meeting so many of you yesterday and this morning, and I look forward to uh, meeting you and building relationships with you over the coming uh, next few days, weeks, and months. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Paul writes, so then, remember that, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, done by hand in the flesh. At that time you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, with no hope and without God in the world." Now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he did away with the law of the commandments and regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Please join me in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning grateful for the opportunity to meet in your house, to gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you, Father. And we recognize the fact that compared to you, our worship is insignificant. Compared to you, you deserve so much more than we could ever give, Father. But we are so grateful that you reside in the praises of your people. Lord, we ask for you to move in this place this morning, that you would speak to us, not from anything that I have to say, not from any anecdotes, but we pray that you would speak from your word. Your word claims that when your word is poured out, it would not return void, but would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. That's our prayer this morning. Speak to us through your word, through the Holy Spirit this morning, Father. Draw us into your presence. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, went into college I started high school in uh, the year 2002. Fall of 2002, I left Maine, came to the south. I had visited a few times, but I came down to Greenville, South Carolina to North Greenville University. From there, a lot of the students, you know, they would go home on weekends if they had a long holiday. Being from Maine, which is a little over a thousand miles away, about an 18-hour trip, I didn't go home very often. And so the first couple times, I had a roommate who was also from Maine, which helped, and so we would partner and we'd go back and forth. After we separated, uh, my roommate went off to somewhere else. I started looking for people who I could make that drive with. I did it alone a couple of times. That was a long trip. 18 hours from Greenville, South Carolina uh, to uh, North Berwick, Maine. And so I started looking for other people. And one of these trips, I actually found two people who were both from New England. I thought, this will be Perfect. I have two of them. I can drop them off, you know, in Massachusetts and New Jersey, uh, and uh, I could just finish the little drive left. And so we got in the car, we got everything we needed. Back that was before GPS, so we had a, you know, big old fancy atlas that you could buy at Walmart, and you had to flip the page every time you entered a new state. Uh, Things were a little more complicated back then. And so we had one person who could drive, one person who would navigate, and one person who honestly could sit in the back and sleep or read or whatever they felt like doing at the time. And so we could rotate. However, there was one small issue that I didn't foresee. These two people hated each other. <laughs> so I had unwittingly signed up for an 18-hour drive with two people who did nothing but fight for the 16 hours that they were both in the car with me. And it was over everything. I tried to go out back and sleep. Guess what? That leaves one of them driving, one of them navigating with an atlas. Okay? And so they fought the entire time. Drove me crazy. I got a little more picky after that one. Okay? Started looking for people who want to take a trip up north. Yeah, but we're going to have to have a little get-to-know-you session. We're going to have to make sure that this is not going to be the most miserable 16 hours of my life next time. See, sometimes we have this division, and even amongst Christians, both of them are Christians, both of them love God, but for some reason they can't stand each other. And if you've been in church any matter of time, you know that's sometimes how it works. Sometimes people can both love God, and yet there's still this division where we have a hard time getting along, even more so between the people who are walking close to God and not. All you have to do is turn on the news or open up a newspaper, and you see countless stories of division. In fact, news today is designed to create division. I remember a time in my life where I was, uh, I actually thought that, uh, you know, Fox News was God's TV station, not the evil CNN, okay? That's not really how it works, if you don't know, okay? I used to think that that's how it worked, but all these news stations, all these newspapers, you can't get on Facebook or any form of social media without people purposely going out of their way to cause division, In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to a group of Gentiles, Gentile Christians. Paul had actually planted this church. He actually spent more time at Ephesus than just about any other church that he planted, spent a significant amount of time building them. But now he's gone away, and he's writing a letter to help explain to them the way the church should function and about what proper theology, what should they actually believe. And in this passage, he's talking about division. He's talking about division. Open up to verse 11 again. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised done by hand in the flesh. He says, church at Ephesus, you are all Gentiles. And we understand that there is that resentment here. Remember, Paul is a Jew. He says, you understand more than most that there is that resentment there between you and the Jews. The Jews refer to you as the uncircumcised as opposed to us who are the circumcised. They're drawing that division between them. Why? Because circumcision, and you know, we don't have children's shirts, so we're not going to go too deep in here, okay? But circumcision is the idea that, uh, or the foundation of the promise that was given to the Jews. If you open up to Genesis chapter 17, you find this passage where God is making this promise to them. Genesis chapter 17, we're going to read... Real quickly through uh, verses 1 through 12. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be devout. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell to the ground, and God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you, and you will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. I will gather you ex- um, sorry, I will make you extremely fruitful, and will make nations and kings come from you. I will keep my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your offspring after you, I will give the land where you are residing all the land of Canaan as an eternal possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abram. Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you at eight days old is to be circumcised." The promise that God gave to Abraham, he says, I'm going to do all these incredible things for you, for your offspring. I'm going to give you this land. What's the catch? You're, the sign of this covenant is that you will be circumcised. And so the idea that the Jews took away with this is circumcised better than uncircumcised. Jew better than Gentile. In fact, if you wanted to join the Jewish nation, guess what the one requirement was? Circumcision. Circumcision. And so they go, you fast forward, you know, a few thousand years to the time of Jesus, and all of a sudden you have these Jews who remember these, these passages, and so many like it. If you remember the promise that God originally made to Abraham, what did he say? I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, through you all nations on the earth will be blessed. All these promises became a mantra for the people of Israel. The problem was it wasn't a reminder of how amazing their God is. It wasn't a reminder that God had blessed Israel, that God had taken them out from all the other peoples of the world, that God had a plan for them and a beautiful purpose for them and that always would be with them. The problem was the Jews didn't take that from these verses. Instead, they took the God says we're better than you. God says that we're better than you. Why? Not because we follow God, not because we worship God, but because of our race alone. We have inherited these promises. See, they skip over some of these passages of Scripture. Remember what the promise to Abraham? I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. They didn't like that last verse, that disappeared. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. The end, period. God says, no all nations. In fact, if you look in other places of Scripture, the Jewish nation has these specific terms that apply to them. For example, in Exodus 19, God speaks through Moses and calls them a kingdom of priests. What is the purpose of a priest? In the Old Testament law, you went to the priest to get to God. God says, Jewish nation, yes, I have plucked you out. I had this beautiful purpose for you, but you know what your primary purpose is? to lead people to me. Isaiah several times in 46 and in 49 and several other places refers to the Jewish people as a light for the Gentiles. The idea is that the Gentiles would look at the Jewish people and they would come to the one true God, Yahweh. And you see examples of that as you read the Old Testament. You guys remember the story of the Exodus where the people of Israel, you know, they're slaves in Egypt and God takes them and he performs these incredible miracles. We call them the 10 plagues. God destroys the most powerful nation in the world, reduces them to almost rubble, and he takes the people of Israel out, brings them through the Red Sea, and declares them his people, brings them up to Mount Sinai. You know the part of that story that we almost never teach in Sunday school? Did you know that it wasn't just the Jews who left? There were actually Egyptians who saw what the one true God did, and when the people of Israel left to go to the Red Sea, there were Egyptians that went with them. They come up to the land of Jericho, and they meet this woman, Rahab, a prostitute. You know what happens to Rahab after the sacking of of Jericho? She joins the nation of Israel. She goes with them. In fact, she is the, I don't know how many greats, great-grandmother of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The whole point was God says, I'm going to pull you out, but I have a plan for you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be my people. You're going to be my own. And through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Through you, you will be a light to the Gentiles that they can receive the hope that I have given to them. Look at verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, with no hope and without God in the world. You see, the Gentiles at that time, they're, you know, everything that we've talked about, everything that we've declared from the Old Testament about what the Jews were supposed to be to the Gentiles, faded away. Remember the, the main message that the Jews take away? We're better than them. And you see that in the New Testament. You actually see that in the way that they are worshiping God even at that time. In fact, if you actually look at the temple at that time, you can see it on the slide there. I don't know how well you guys can see that. Uh, Some of you in the back may just need to trust me. Um, (laughs) That is an outline of Herod's temple that they've actually dug up. The temple was destroyed not long after Jesus lived, um, after he rose from the dead. However, if you look at the outline of the temple, if you look, you can kind of see an upside-down T up at the top. That is the main part of the temple. The top is the most holy place, okay? Also known as the Holy of Holies. That's the place where one priest would go in, offer one sacrifice per year to, uh, for the people of Israel. Further out, you have the main temple. You have the court of priests, okay? Notice who's allowed in here. We haven't left the Jews yet, okay? This is still the Jewish area. You can see in there the court of Israel. Down bottom, you have the court of of women, okay? If you're a female, that is where you're allowed to go to worship. Further outside, you have the temple courtyard on the right. On the left, it labels it the Gentile's court. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to worship the one true God, that is where you went to worship. You were never allowed any further. In fact, they've actually dug up some of the archaeological remains, and they found a uh, sign there, okay? If you can't read that, partly because it's very faint and it's in Greek, okay? So if you're not losing your mind, your eyes haven't gone crossed. Yeah, you're not really supposed to be able to read that. However, if you translate that, it actually says, let no foreigner enter within the parapet and the partition which surrounds the temple precincts. Anyone caught violating will be held accountable for his ensuing death. Okay, that is the strongest no trespassing sign you will ever see. If you're a Gentile, you are not allowed to cross into the Jewish section. Remember how the Jews took the Old Testament prophecies? We're better than you. We are allowed to go here. If you want to join, well, here's a a nice little area for you. You can stay right out there, okay? So, that's very, very different from how we think of things today. You live in a great age. I don't know, I assume everyone in here is a Gentile. Maybe we have some Jewish people in here. If you're a Gentile, you need to be very, very grateful for the age that you live in. Because if you lived back then, you were considered second-class, I won't say Christians because they weren't called Christians, but you're almost a second-class Jew. You're a second-class follower of Yahweh. Imagine if we were to do that here you put a sign on the outside that says, hear who we are allowing to enter our sanctuary. Whether it be by your demographic status, whether it be by your race, there are churches who still do that. Whether it be by your income, whether it be by whether you're married or single, whether it be by how many children you have. Most of the time as a church, we would do that just based on whether people dress like us, look like us, and talk like us. We wouldn't even be able to put into words what the division is. We would just have the like us and not like us. Sometimes we even go on to say, you know what, you're a good person. You should be at a church, just not this one. Unfortunately, that still exists in so many places. And so we see that in the Jewish culture back then, where it's like, you know what, I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile. Sure, you can worship God from a distance. You can worship God from a distance. So Paul recognizes this. Remember, we're talking about the Ephesian church. We're talking about Gentiles, and Paul writes them and says, "I acknowledge this. I acknowledge that there is this hostility and this division." But notice what he says in verses thirteen and fourteen. He says, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah." For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. See, the Gentiles, although they were formerly separated from God and not part of the original covenant, now they have been brought near to God and adopted into his kingdom through the death of Christ. But what about the covenant of circumcision? Remember, this whole covenant was based on circumcision. Verse 15. He did away with the law of the commandments and its regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He's taken that hostility between the Jews and Gentiles, and he has ripped that wall away and says, yes, I don't care what your race is. If you remember in the book of Acts, see, even after Jesus died and rose from the dead, Peter still doesn't quite get it because these Gentiles are coming to Peter and saying, we want you to teach us the things of God. But before they come, Peter actually has a vision. He's alone praying, and God gives him this vision. And the vision is, if you remember the Old Testament law, there were certain animals that they were allowed to eat and certain animals that they weren't allowed to eat. And so he has this vision, and on this vision he sees a sheet. And on the sheet are all the unclean animals. And I'm sorry, did I say Paul? Peter says, or hears a voice saying, take and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I have never taken and eaten anything unclean. I would never do that. In other words, he's saying, no, Lord, I'm a good Jew. I follow this law. I would never do something like that. And he hears a voice again, take and eat. No, Lord, I would never take and eat. I would never eat something that's unclean. And Peter says, or Peter, hears the third time, take and eat. No, Lord, I would never eat an unclean animal. And then he hears a voice that says, Do not call what is unclean what God has made clean. And no sooner does he hear that than all of a sudden he hears has someone come and visit and say, "Uh, "There's someone at the door from you." It's a handful of Gentiles wanting to hear the truth of God, and Peter immediately knows what that message was. He says, you know, before this, we're not even supposed to come into a Gentile house, but God has told me not to call what is unclean what he has made clean. In other words, salvation is open for the Gentiles. God's plan has always been to take this covenant, to take these beliefs, to take all of these promises, and that the Jewish people would be a light to the Gentiles, that they would open the door, that anybody of all people—what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him—not whosoever Jewish— not so who, whosoever Gentile, American, Filipino, Chinese, Russian. There's nothing in there that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. Verse 16 through 18. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put hostility to death by it. When Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. See, Jesus came, he broke away that dividing wall, but so many times we keep putting that back up. Remember, he proclaimed peace to those who are far away and to those who are near. But who is Paul actually speaking to? Those who are far away. He's not speaking to those who are near. He's speaking to those who are far away. And Paul says, Jesus came, he died, so that you could be brought close to him. So you could be brought into his presence. And so did he put to death that hostility, but how many times do we as Christians put that hostility back? We so many times decide, nope, here's what you need to be to be a good Christian. I'm not saying there's some people who live crazy lives and they go off and do their own thing and are continually living in sin but claim Christian. That's not what Paul's talking about. Okay, We're talking about denominational barriers. We're talking about people with different views of the end times. We're talking about people who have different minor theological beliefs. We're talking about people who have different styles of clothes, different hair colors, different markings on their bodies. You know how many churches I've been to that say, you can't follow God if you have dyed hair and tattoos. You know how many churches I've been to that say that? Do you know where you find that in the Bible? You don't. You don't find it. Jesus came and he died and he took away that wall of hostility so that those who were far away from him could be brought into the presence of God, could be brought close to him. And I want you to know something. I am so grateful for that. Because you know what? I remember a time when I was far away from God. I remember a time when I didn't have that relationship, when I was not an heir to the promise of God, when I was without hope and without God in this world. I remember that. And if you're honest with yourself, I bet you do too. Maybe you honestly don't. Maybe you grew up in church and you honestly can't remember. Use your imagination. I don't know about you, that scares me. When I imagine my life, every so often I do it. I think it's just a good practice to imagine what my life would be like if God were not a part of it. Have you ever done that before? That scares me to death. My wife and I were actually dri- uh, driving up to Sanford yesterday and we were having this conversation. She's a, a licensed counselor. She's done a lot of counseling. I'm a battalion chaplain. I do a lot of counseling. Uh, I've done some marriage counseling that will scare you guys. Okay? And so one of the things that we talked about on the way up were some of these crazy situations and crazy, crazy counselings that we've done. And we look at those situations and be like, you know what the main problem there is? They have no understanding of right and wrong. They have no commitment to each other. You know why? Because they have no real relationship with God. You know how hard it is to counsel someone to bring hope into their life without bringing God into it? It's near impossible. At one time I was without hope and without God in this world and yet God brought me into his presence. It was one night when I was a child, I was at a summer camp where I heard the word of God and it was so real. I have no idea what the message was on but the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I went forward and my life was forever changed. Praise God because if that hadn't happened, if God had never called me into his presence, I'd hate to think of where I'd be. I'd hate to think of what kind of man I would be. Paul is writing to this church at Ephesus and saying, you were far off, but now you have been brought into his presence. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says something similar. Colossians chapter 3 Paul writes in the beginning in verse 5, says, Therefore put to death whatever in you is worldly, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man of his practices and have put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of his creator. Listen to this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Saying so all of these barriers that have always been set up, and we know, we would like to think that, you know, racism is dead. We very much know that it is alive and well in our country and in so many other places in the world. Besides racism, we have so many barriers that divide us, and, God, and Paul is writing and he says, you know what? Those barriers are not of God. Those barriers are not godly. You cannot convince me that there's anything in the Bible that says, you know what, we should have, you know, people at the doors to decide who can come in and who can't. We would never imagine actually doing that, but sometimes we think that way. Sometimes people come in and we may not say anything, but we look at them out of the side of our eye. Hope people don't notice. What would that kind of person be doing here? You know there's a church down the road that would better fit them. Paul says those barriers are gone. Jesus nailed them to the cross. They don't exist anymore. Look what he says back in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Notice what the foundation of this building is. It's a metaphorical building. We've been adopted into Christ's family. We're part of the building of God. What's the foundation? The apostles and prophets. Okay? Not literally, that's symbolic. The idea is the prophets represent the Old Covenant, the apostles represent the New Covenant, okay? Old Testament and New Testament. That's the foundation, but what is the primary focus with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone? He is the foundation. If somebody comes together and says, you know what, I worship Jesus Christ, okay, I understand that there are some, you know, cults and false religions that do say that, okay? So I want to know that they worship the one true Jesus Christ, but if they worship the one true Jesus Christ, then there's not much else that matters. I don't care what kind of music they worship to. I don't care what style of worship. I don't care what they wear to worship. If they worship the one true Jesus Christ, you know what that makes them? My brother and sister in Christ. I don't know about you, I'm grateful that I don't have to walk through a bouncer to enter the presence of God, that I don't have to hold up any certifications, any degrees, any, you know, anything that I have to do to show that I am a follower of God. When I go to God and I cry out to him and I say, God, I just want you to forgive me because I'm a sinner. God, I thank you for bringing me, uh, uh, for coming into my life, for saving me. God doesn't say, well, you actually missed a couple of checks on that checklist. When you cry to God and say, God, I am so sorry, will you please forgive me? You know what it says, 1 John 1.9? You know what the Bible says? That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. When you go to God, it doesn't matter your hair color, your clothes, it doesn't matter what you're wearing, it doesn't matter what you've done yesterday, what, who your family is, where you come from, what part of the country of the world you come from. You go to God and you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. And God says forgiven. Every single time. That is the promise of God. This morning, as we read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, we see these barriers that are continually put up, and it's nothing new. You see it in the Old Testament. There have always been these barriers, not that God puts up, but that people put up between God and other people. As we gather together this morning, and we rejoice in the fact that There is no barrier between you and God. I am so grateful that I can go to him and cry out to God and know that he hears me. I'm so grateful that I can come to church and worship him and I don't have to match a certain image. I don't have to fit anybody else's checklist because God, the creator of the entire universe, has called me his child. Nobody else gets a vote. I'm so grateful for that. This morning, maybe God is speaking to you in a special way. Maybe you don't have that relationship with him. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. You've never gone to him and said, God, you know what? My life just doesn't have any hope. My life just doesn't have any meaning or any purpose. The people I counsel with depression, you know why they, they're, they're depressed? It's because they're lonely and they feel like they have no purpose. Do you realize that both of those are solved by coming to faith in Jesus Christ? As you enter the fellowship of believers and you become a child of the Most High God, the creator of heavens and earth. Maybe you've never experienced that this morning. This morning, I invite you to come up. Most people here, maybe you grew up in this church, maybe you accepted Christ when you were just a a little child. Maybe you've never known anything different, in which case, praise God for you. Okay, that's awesome. But maybe God is speaking to you this morning because you're on the opposite end of the extreme. Maybe you are the one who is placing those barriers between people and God. We you say, you know what, yeah, you can come to God. Here's a list of things you need to do. Here's what kind of person you need to be. If you want to come to church, here's how you need to dress. Here's what kind of worship you need to worship to, if you're really going to worship God. Maybe you're on the other end. God is speaking to you this morning. My encouragement for you is to cry out to God and be like, God, I made a mistake maybe it was the best of intentions, maybe you had pure motives. I was trying to protect the church of God. I was trying to, you know, have these high standards for people to come to worship God. That's fine, but if those aren't God's standards, then they don't belong. Maybe you find yourself there this morning. My encouragement for you is that this altar is open. You can come forward, you can cry out to God and say, God, maybe I had the best of intentions, but I messed up. I've sinned against heaven and against you, is what David said when he sinned. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Will you please forgive me? Will you help me to reach out to the people in my life, in my school, in whatever clubs, in my jobs, the people that maybe I don't necessarily even want to come to church with me. Maybe I don't even like that person. Maybe I think they're too far gone, That there's no hope for them the word of scripture, over and over and over and over. Paul called himself, said, I am the chief of all sinners. But you know what he said the very next phrase? By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace to me is not without effect. Maybe there's people in your life, you say, you know what, they're just too far gone. You know, yeah, I know the, the grace is for the whole world, but that person would never. That person would never cry out to God. My encouragement for you is, God works in amazing ways and he can work through you. The people who are most unforgivable, unlovable, God loves them and has a plan for them too. Don't be a barrier to people coming to know Christ. At this time, Gary is going to come forward. We're going to open up the altar for a time of invitation. But my message for you, and you know, there's nothing magical about this altar. It is a very beautiful altar. Okay? There's nothing magical about it. It's not that if you come forward at this altar, God's gonna look at you in this little two-foot circle and, and see you. If you cry out to God and you say, God, I just I want you to come into my life. I want you to make a difference in my life this morning. God hears you. If you need someone to pray with you, Gary is up here this morning. He would love to be able to talk to you. Maybe you wanna join the church. Maybe you wanna be baptized. This morning is your chance to say, God, whatever you're leading me to do, I'm willing, and I'm going to be obedient. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time as we come to worship you. We thank you that your word is holy and that when we preach your word, we know that it has an impact, Father. And I believe that you're speaking this morning. I pray that you will open our hearts, open our minds, allow us to hear from you. You may be speaking a different thing to every person in the sanctuary this morning, but my prayer for for them is that they would be willing and obedient to hear what you have to say, to follow you and trust you with their entire lives, Father. Lord, have your way this morning. Speak to us in an awesome and special way that we would leave here and say, you know what? I heard from God. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We give you all the praise, all the glory this morning. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.